Thanks for pressing play. Most of us would like to be more creative, and some of us would like to make our living with our creativity. But without legendary role models, particularly those who are willing to get real and go deep about their experience, it's hard to learn what it really takes. In today's dialogue, you're going to find out, and a lot more. Our guest is Nazarene. His music has been streamed over four billion times. That's B billion. He's a Grammy award-winning songwriter, producer, and singer who's worked with literally the biggest names in music today. People like John Legend, Christina Aguilera, Chris Brown, Robin Thicke, Justin Bieber, Usher, New Kids on the Block, Skip Marley and Her, Shakira, and Maroon 5, just to name a few. Nasri won a Grammy Award for Best Latin Pop Album for his work with Shakira on her record El Dorado in 2017. And he won a Grammy for Best R&B Album for his work on Chris Brown's Fame record, just to name a few of his Grammys. His band Magic released three successful chart-topping albums with RCA Records, and he's probably best known for uh, their international smash hit Rude. He also just released a brand new EP, a solo EP called Here For You, to much critical acclaim. And I got to tell you, I really like this record. It is a great record, and you'll hear us talk about it um, during our conversation. Also of note, this is Nasri's first ever podcast appearance. And so we're honored that he chose us to do this with for the first time. Now, if you're um, somebody who's creative, this conversation is a fascinating window into a creative life. Uh, Somebody who clearly has had legendary success, but who still thinks of himself as, quote, a blue-collar songwriter. And um, also, pay special attention to how Nazari thinks about his identity and, most importantly, evaluating his progress and his success. And this, of course, is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. Our listeners have made us an award-winning, chart-topping dialogue podcast. And we are a dialogue podcast for people with a different mind. Uh, Check out our newsletter, Category Pirates, the newsletter for people with a different mind at Lockhead.com. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud ERP system. And we are proud that they are our founding sponsor because every business needs a legendary foundation. To get your free product tour of NetSuite today, visit NetSuite.com slash different. That's NetSuite. Sweet.com slash different. And the value of data goes up virtually every day. And my friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything. Visit Splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. Now, hey ho, let's go. Nasri, it's great to meet you. Good to meet you, too. I thought maybe we could start with, tell me what it's like to win a Grammy Award. Well, I have won three kind of participant awards so far. Been nominated, I think, like like four or five times. Uh, I've been on on projects that have won Grammys. So, I get, I get a certificate, but I don't get the actual uh, kind of trophy yet. But this year, I'm actually nominated. And if I win, I actually get the trophy. So... That's kind of exciting. Oh, I see. So when you're a producer, uh, you don't get the same trophy you get when you're the 
artist yeah there's like some sort of percentage like you have to do like 33 percent of the album or something there's some sort of actual percentage that you have to do on a project to get the actual trophy if not then you get a participant they've run out of trophies so clearly but they have plenty of uh certificates and uh it's just easier to print one i guess (laughs) does that mean the grammys are they're sort of cheap is that what you're telling me (laughs) (laughs) no you know I, i think it's i think it's tricky because you know maybe Maybe back in the day, one producer or one set of people would make an album. And now it's just become like, you know, 30, 40 people on, on, on 12 songs. So I think they had to change the rules up a bit to adjust for that. So it makes sense. I wouldn't like uh, having to send that many, um, you know, the one guy who puts a snare and then he gets a Grammy for that. It's just, you know, I think they're trying to. To, to get off of that. But as a songwriter myself, it, I do take a slight hit because I am doing, you know, a lot of work on my songs. But I think that's what it is. This, you know, it's, it's a different time now when you make music. It's like, you know, producers and writers and, and the whole thing are all, they all know where the revenue streams are now, where before I don't think people really understood. So, you know, everybody has a little piece of everything. It's kind of confusing when you see four or five names on on a credit or even seven or eight, nine names on a credit of a song, you know, it's confusing to the audience. They're like, seven people wrote this song, but it not generally no, seven people didn't write the song. You know, like two or three people wrote the song and then it goes through a process of like, hey, let's team up with this kind of like sound designer and, you know, and they want to have a piece of, you know, the publishing because again, the revenue streams are just all kind of transparent now. So if I'm somebody you bring in to do a certain piece of work on a song or two, Mm -hmm. I'm going to want to have a songwriting credit because that changes the economics for me. Yeah. And and there's, because the thing is, it's like, I would say like a producer, you know, 30 years ago was getting paid triple of what, you know, producers are getting paid now since after Napster and everything changed in the business and the business had to be rebuilt, only like the top, top tier producers are getting like really good money. But I think everybody else gets a bunch less and it's just not enough between paying your management and everybody for these kind of newer producers, young producers, you know, you want to see them make money and for contributing to your song and I think more than ever, sound and sound design has become its own art form. You know, um, there's tons of samples going around with all these programs now, but there's certain cats, they really know how to put them together in a way that is a value, you know, to everybody. So they started, at first they were called programmers and they would be paid a couple grand. Here you go, program it. And then after a while, they started being like, well, wait a second, I'm kind of co-producing this. So then they became co-producers and then they're like, but wait, I want more. I want something else. And um, it just became normal to do that. You know, I generally co-produce a 99% of the stuff that I'm involved in, but I've, I've encouraged a lot of songwriters. I've said, Hey, like if you're in the room and you're contributing to the production, ask for it, you know, like ask for what you feel you should get because these producers and track makers, they're getting a piece of, of, you know, you're writing and the stuff that you're putting together. So it, you know, you, you know, you have to adjust and, and stuff like that, but 
It's its its own little hustle. Sound design, it's its own little hustle. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so if you, you know, the list of folks that you've worked with is a stunner. And when we think about artists like a Justin Bieber or a John Legend or, you know, her who's been massive uh, of late and, you know, Robin Thicke and all these incredible names that you've worked with, if the next Chris Brown record, how many people are going to work on that record in a meaningful way that they might might end up with a, a songwriting credit? Yeah, I, and nobody, I, I don't know. I mean, I think with, you know, I know working, I've worked with Chris and Chris wants whatever's best for the song, you know? So if that means that wherever they are in the initial production or song needs to go to another team to enhance it because he likes what they do, then they jump on in, you know? A lot of us these days are not I think because when you think about it, there's like 100 to 150,000 songs released a week or something, some crazy number. So whatever you have to do to get your song to cut through all that noise, you, we're all prepared to do it. You know, we, we kind of have to go in, uh, you know, as much as we can um, with the best possible ammunition to cut through the noise because there's so many releases. I mean... You know what's insane right now is how many duets there are. Remember, I remember when I was young and a duet was like, it was like Hulk Hogan wrestling, you know, like you'd see him once a year. It's like you see that one or two beautiful duets a year. There's a, there's a, there's a, we call it features duets. There's one every three days now, you know, with major <laughs> artists. And it's just like, it's insane to me. And, and I get why it's, they're just trying to cross pollinate, you know, and, um, and a lot of these artists, they, they don't never even met each other. You know, so they're just trying to share each other's audiences to help each other grow their 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 audience. Is that what's going it's on? Ex- it's exactly what it is, you know, and and it's smart. And if their audiences, you know, complement each other, it's the best move they could make because they're engaging each other's socials and um, and creating content together, potentially looking into, you know, kind of touring together, whatever that is. But it's it's always happened for years. They've always done this. They've always done duets. But now it's become like you write a song, the song is amazing, and everyone's like going, okay, cool, who can we throw on there? It's interesting because as sort of a layman who loves music, I, I do notice you have a lot of songs that have the name of the song and then featuring is yes. now part of the name of the song. <laughs> yes, and they, that, that person was definitely not in the room when we wrote that song. You know, that's something that happened afterwards to add to either the the quality of the song. Like when I did the Skip Marley song, Slow Down, it was, you know, a 10 out of a 10 when we made it, for sure, with just Skip. But when her jumped on it, it was a 12, you know? She really took it to that even next level. So she really complimented him beautifully and did a wonderful job. And, you know, that's why we're nominated for that song. She, she, and she embodied the music in the video. And I've had a chance to work with her afterwards. And we were laughing that we were nominated for a Grammy together and never met and had a song together, you know? And, uh, but it's, it's because of that. It was, it was kind of a, a move and Skip Marley was a fan of hers and she was a fan of his. And then they, you know, became friends and, and, you know, over about three months of kind of like, they ended up making it happen. And so, but like, I wasn't there for, you know, any of it. I was there for the initial writing of it. And uh, then I spent a week in, you know, at the Marley's house in, in Miami and, and, you know, finished the EP with him. 
and that was it. You just kind of wait and see what, what the management does and what the label does and the moves that everybody makes, you know, and hope that, you know, they, like they did this time, hope that they make a really good creative move. And they did, you know, I was really happy with this one. Is that, that seems like it might be weird that you would, as a creative person, you would collaborate and creating a piece of art and what you consider to be a finished piece of art. You, you could have uh, released that uh, song. Could you have not? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, it was a great recording and, um, but again, sometimes, you know, it gets even to a place that you didn't imagine, you know, with, with her jumping on there and sometimes it doesn't. And then those songs generally don't come out. Um, so we got lucky on this one. And, but yeah, it is weird because I'm, I'm a bit of a creative alpha, you know, and I, I like to be in control as much as I can while, you know, listening as much as I can, being a good leader, listening as much as I can to everybody's input and then saying, all right, guys, let me help organize this for you creatively but the truth is is that skip has to go sing that song forever not me so once that session is over and maybe a follow-up session for the song that's it it's it's really out of my hands and um the management and the label and everybody paying you know for this journey in his life to to own these to buy these masters and all that stuff they kind of make the call with him uh, which is why, you know, a lot of, you know, producers and songwriters, they start their own labels or they start managing or signing their own artists because they want to start making these decisions as creatives, you know? Yeah, look, I, I can relate to it somewhat because uh, my first book was pu published by a major publisher and they were wonderful to us and they did a good job and, you know, so forth and so on. But when it came to do my second book, I decided to self-publish because... I wanted that control. I realized how much, you know, I was naive the first time. I realized how much the creator actually has to do, not just to create the what you're creating, but you have to get out there and market and sell it. And so I just sort of thought, well, if I have to create it and I have to do the vast majority of the marketing and selling, why do I need a fucking publisher? And, and there's truth to that. But I, I think the beginning stages, if you look at, even why you maybe needed a publisher was maybe to learn a couple things, you know, to see kind of what the scope of marketing for this medium is, you know, and that's what I went through. You know, I, you know, in the band magic, we were signed to RCA records and I was like, okay, cool. Like when I went now to make my solo project, I felt like I, I have a pretty good grip of how to market something. And so I did it independently, you know, and, I put it out and, um, you know, three weeks ago and I'm getting an insane response, you know, and my video has gone to a million views on YouTube and like all this stuff. And I'm in no rush. I, I own the master. I, I have no, uh, nobody telling me in some sort of meeting that it's not moving fast enough. And that's what I didn't like being in a, with a major label. I didn't like it. I didn't like that there was this committee you know, deciding the fate of something, you know? And I'm like, I am my own committee. I believe that if I played it for one, if I have 100 fans and 100 of them listened five or six times, this, this is good music. All I have to do is just keep coming up with ways to get it out there and to not be rushed by anything. And hey, listen, if I need to take a month break because I'm working on something else, that's fine. In a month, I come back and put another couple thousand dollars into promoting here or there and keep, you know, just 
just keep pushing the music on on my terms and and my in in my own way you know i understand and relate to that uh, tremendously uh, and i do want to go back to that um but before before we go to sort of the business side and the marketing side and all that i, I just got to tell you i've been immersed in your new record your new i guess it's is it technically an ep it's an ep yeah and i gotta tell you nasri it is a great fucking piece of work it is really fantastic music. I appreciate that. And uh, I, I love that you talked earlier about sort of making sounds. This new record has a v very distinctive sort of sonic point of view, if I could call it that. Mm -hmm. does, that does that make any sense? I think I know where you're going with this. But yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to blend things that I liked, you know, people keep calling it Sade-esque, you know, and um, really what it is, is I, I took my guitar style, which was something new to me. I never laid guitars down before, you know, um, that's something that I've really been literally playing more and more over the last four years. I, I never grew up playing the guitar. Um, and so I kept pushing myself and kept learning and, and I found this style that I like, this kind of lyrical style. And I wanted the drums to be kind of R&B-esque, you know, with a little bit of kind of worldly percussive elements in it. And I wanted beautiful lush harmonies, which is what I always did. That, that I was really as a writer kind of known for that and kind of coming from R&B. So I just combined the things that I liked. It wasn't, you know, that that's all it was. And my father is always like, when are you going to sing slower songs? You know, like you did when you were younger. And uh, I was like, I am now, you know? And so I, I didn't want anything to be too up tempo or I just wanted to have a mood to, to, I made it during, during the beginning kind of middle stages of, of COVID and quarantining and just being alone and started making and kind of forming this sound. And then I was on a Zoom, like writing a pop song with a friend, Jonas Jayberg, who heard what I was making. He was like, man, he's like, you sound like Sade. And he, we, I started laughing. I was like, man, why everybody keeps telling me that? And uh, he was like, um, I really know how to help you produce this, like put it together. And he comes from, he's an extraordinary producer and he comes from a drum background which is probably my, like, I have the least experience in, in the world of drum, drumming and, and stuff like that and programming. That's something I'm learning more and more every day. And uh, he goes, send me it. And I sent him one of the songs and he started messing with it. And then we started writing and he was just so into it. And um, him and his wife, interesting enough, this is, they, this is what they listen to on Sundays. They listen to Sade and all this stuff. And he just became really driven to make this ep with me and generally he he's the type of guy he's like pay me and i'll do the work kind of you know pop producer he's like this is i've always wanted to do a project like this and he was just down to do it with me um and we did it the whole thing over facetime and zoom we made this whole album i did every i cut the vocals myself and i laid the guitars and the bass and and uh a bunch of like arrangement stuff and then he would do on his side drums and arrangement and do some bass and stuff. And, and we just passed it back and forth. And are you just taking Pro Tools files and swapping them over Dropbox kind of thing? or it, it's Exactly. Logic. We both work on Logic and we were just passing the session. 
And so he lent me, funny enough, I had this kind of like mic that was, he was like, man, you got to get my Sony, my Sony C800. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I've never used that microphone before. And he's like, bro, it's the best mic. You have to believe me. So I went to his house and I grabbed it and I set it up and I was like, wow, I sound so much clearer on this microphone. That's why I bought one. And um, yeah, so all of a sudden, this whole thing just came together through our, us just being passionate about it. And uh, kind of the, the the sum up of the story is that in all the years of him making music, this is one of the first times, you know, that his wife has actually like listened to the music on repeat, you know, <laughs> because generally a lot of the stuff we make, our wives are like, yeah, another pop song or pop song. And they're like, they'll listen to it once or twice and be like, okay, cool, you know. But, you know, we went in and made a, made some real music. So, yeah, so she's loving it. And and um, she actually uh, does the part on the Do With Me What You Want. <laughs> Over the guitar, that's actually her singing that. That's his wife. Wow, it's funny. I, ju I just listened to this song before we got on. So I was I was kind of re-listening to uh, to get in the mood. I was re-listening to the new record. Awesome. And that was the last song I heard before we uh, before we got on together. So that's her, huh? That's her on there. And and you know, and I had said to him, I said we should get a female voice on there. He's like, well, my wife can sing. I was like, put your wife on there. You know, it was like the most casual making music. We both understood what we had to do, and we. Like I, I vocally can do a, a things that I don't do a lot on records. Like I could do runs, like R&B runs, like the whole thing. But I made a choice that I don't want to do that on my records as an artist. Because a lot of the artists that I look up to growing up, some of them definitely did that. Some of my favorite R&B singers, but a lot of my favorite songs, they didn't do any of the tricks. They just sang the melodies. And so we kept on talking about that, like simple, just keep it subtle and keep it simple and just let the vibe and the emotion kind of fill, fill the rest of the music up. And so there was a lot of restraint. We, we were, we were kind of, you know, had to hold back for the power of the, of the vibe and the emotion, you know? Well, I appreciate it. It really works with this record. You know, there's a lot of space between, so to speak, in your new record. And, you know, that whole thing of those, those wicked R and B runs, you know, I remember as a kid growing up listening to Stevie wonder. And I remember when hotter than July came out, I think I got a couple years on you and, you know, Stevie would do those runs and he's unbelievable at them, but he was very tasteful with them. He was like a Jedi master who knew how to, who knew how to wield, yield that sword, but, but did it very sparingly. And somewhere in between, and you'd probably know way better than me, but as a, as a casual music fan, uh, or maybe a slightly more than casual, but somewhere in between Stevie and Mariah Carey, things started to get weird. And by the time we got to Mariah Carey, it was like, Everybody was just, it was like heavy metal guitar players just trying to prove who could, who, who could play the fastest, who could do the most shit. And they sort of seemed to forget that the singing and the music is supposed to be in service of the song. At least that's what I grew up believing. But I, I'm curious to get your reaction. I, I, have the, I have the exact same belief. And you know, like, why is Babyface the biggest kind of songwriter of all time in the R&B world? 
you know, it's because his songs were beautifully written, but simply sang the song built to that point of the runs, you know, and that's what I grew up watching. Like I kind of idolized that because if you, if you look at a lot of that stuff, when he wrote for Tevin Campbell or these kind of different artists, they would like really build up to the crazy craziness at the end. Now I think for, you know, uh, for R and B, you know, there's there's definitely obviously a link to gospel music and a link to, you know, where it comes from and in, in our in our kind of like the history of, of America and the pain and and so many things that are underlying in the riffs and the runs. And when it's done right, you can feel that. But I think when it's done wrong, it sounds showy. You know, it's like you're kind of running for no reason instead of like I don't know letting the guitar play the part around a run you know, or that kind of thing. And, and I think that is what has been lost, like the art of running and how to place it. Stevie Wonder was playful. Like when Stevie sings, and I know, you know, pretty much every Stevie song, I'm I'm a bit of a Stevie nut. Stevie Wonder sings with joy. So, which is rare, right? You rarely find singers or hear a singer that actually when they're singing, it's like joy. Like there's actual like like, you know, like that movie Inside and Out that all the kids watch. I mean, I watch it too, where it's like sadness, joy, anger. Stevie Wonder is joy when he sings and he's like, he, there's just something in the timbre of his voice. So when he does the run, it feels joyous or, and he's also just unlimited. So he just is better at music than everybody else. So it's, it's not somebody else's fault. It's just that Stevie Wonder is just a genius, right? But when you listen to Donnie, like Donnie Hathaway, when he would do the runs, he was ex- extraordinarily tasteful when he would do it. He would do it at the, the, those right times. Um, but yeah, now it has definitely become a look at, look at me, listen to what I could do. And I would say now it's less like that. Now it's become more this kind of emo R&B thing, which is its own culture. And it, it, it's just, it actually is representing the loneliness of, of, of young people that has been caused by the cell phone. You know, the cell phone has has had everybody looking down and not looking up at each other. These kids get lonely, they get sad, they get depressed, and these are the songs that come out of it. You know, the interesting thing on that front is all that stuff seems really whiny to me, or not all, a lot of it. And in my generation, when we were in that spot uh, emotionally, you know, we formed punk bands, right? Right, right. We didn't get all whiny and like I, every time I see a new band on, you know, pick your evening show, you know, or or Saturday Night Live or, you know, any of this sort of uh, those kinds of shows, they're just, they just seem all whiny and depressed and uh, wearing sweaters and shit. Uh, I don't know. It's not yeah, it, you know what that it's, I relate it's, to. I think, it's an acquired, I think it's an acquired taste. I actually grew up more relating to the whininess than than to anything in the punk world. I didn't really like grab it. I grab. I had my kind of like Green Day and kind of stuff like that, more of the pop mainstream stuff. But that's all I really knew. I was a hardcore R and B kid. I was like boys to men. You know, I love that stuff. And you know, I think at the age of about twenty five, I couldn't listen to R and B anymore. I was like, this is so whiny, and now I find myself liking the whininess a bit again for whatever reason, but it's 
there's it, it's an acquired taste you know when myself like as a guy who grew up an r&b singer it it sounds different to my ears than somebody who grew who if you grew up and you love punk music you yeah, know for punk, sure to me just sounds whiny you know it sounds like wait a right. second don't you live in a nice house can you stop complaining all the time <laughs> you know so it's like and i i didn't grow up with much money so you know we we grew up with just enough but it, we struggled my parents it was tough for my parents you know so and they're immigrants and all that stuff. So it's like, for me, when I saw, I see these like white kids, you know, and they're like, Oh, nobody wants me to be, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's like, you have a record deal, man. <laughs> like you're, you're doing great. So, so the, the, I, I guess the, I always, I was rejected a lot by girls at a younger age. So I really related to that, <laughs> to the, like, why don't you love me? It's hard to believe looking at you now. <laughs> you oh, look well, like the kind of guy that has to uh, have a security detail keep the women off you. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, it's never had to happen so far. Um, I guess I have to put some more some more product in my hair. Get that get that going. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, you know, it's like it's all like. It's I you know I've had moments on stage sure you know going to some countries and have those moments and and they're you know they're they're crazy experiences they're weird you know you're like uh huh you know you're like you're kind of confused by it because like you know right before you went on stage you're facetiming with your your son you know you're like good night you know then you go on stage and and she's like I love you take your shirt off and you're like whoa I have not worked out this week I'm not taking my shirt off. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, there's a whole, it's, it's a funny thing. You know, what's interesting about the new music that I'm making now that it got more romantic, you know, it got more sexy, you know? And so I, you know, I've been, I have been feeling this responsibility to get into like the greatest shape of my life. Cause if you're going to sing these songs, you better yeah, look good. <laughs> yeah. I gotta look good. Like I have to go on stage and, and, um, like, you know, when you wear a tight shirt, right? And you just have that extra three or four pounds. You you know, it's just, oh God, yeah, you just, it doesn't work. Like I have to be able to like rock the tight shirt without the fat around my waist. Because when I gain weight, it goes all to my love handles like instantly. Like I can't stop these things. And so I have to like be on a crazy diet to, to keep that weight off of my stomach. Um, to then, you know, to have that look on stage which I do want it, you know, I, I want to, um, I just want to live in the glory days, you know, I want to just do it and then, you know, have that moment in time. But, but it is good. It is good to exercise a lot. I, I am feeling really good and fit, but it is, it sucks on a dietary level. Like, you know, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm so bored, you know, I just want to stuff a pizza in my mouth and, I can't because I'm shooting another video and then, you know, like, you know, it's like artist mode. You go into artist mode and it's like, okay, I'm like an artist again after and being in a pandemic for a year and <laughs> let's shed the, let's shed this stuff off of me. And luckily my, my wife is in crazy shape. So she's, she inspires me, you know? So that's good news. I, I was I was also going to ask you, you, you've toured with Maroon 5, have you not? Yes. And so that guy's known for walking around with no clothes on. And so I guess if you're yeah, going to yeah. share a stage with Adam, you probably don't want to have those extra five pounds or in my case, <laughs> 10 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, you know, I remember that tour and 
He's a hardworking guy, man. I remember like being backstage and I was working out like it was a four, the first run of the tour was like 45 days. And it was like, uh, we they had, I think it was like 30 shows or something like that. And we had 39. We were doing our other show too. We, we were doing a ton. But I actually worked out on that tour 42 out of the 45 days. Like I was in insane shape on that tour. And um, Adam, I remember watching him. He, man, this guy worked out. He worked out two hours a day, every day. Like they had set up a small gym in one of the rooms. And his bandmates would maybe come for a workout once a week or something. But this guy was in there sweating his balls off. Like, you know, his he looks great. And he, he, earned, he earned that body. You know, he's like, he really puts in the time, um, which is interesting because generally a lot of the musicians that I know growing up in, in Toronto, a lot of them, my favorite musicians, these guys don't lift a muscle. <laughs> like they don't, they don't, ex- musicians don't exercise, you know? So, I thought musicians uh, smoked cigarettes and pot and did some exactly. blow and drank a lot of Jack Daniels. That's exactly what they do. But I think the the, the few of us who have a level of, uh, if I'm being honest, like, you know, vanity, you know, subconsciously we do care because we are on stage. We want people to like us, to make us popular. You know, there is this kind of like guilt you know, this like, this like, oh, I shouldn't eat that because I'm going to lose 100,000 fans if I eat this burger tonight, you know? So it's like, there's this kind of weird thing with being a crooner uh, and also knowing, like knowing that your music does attract, you know, uh, the opposite sex and that if you can make yourself look better to entertain them and to be somewhat of a of a character and a role and no matter what you're feeling, I mean, you're on, you're on, like you're on and you're singing, you know, like I got caught, got caught off God and never seen eyes. You can't be like, like walking around with your belly hanging out, singing that song. You know, you, you, ha- you have to <laughs> well, sell the been, romance novel. Some, you have to sell the romance novel. There have been some crooners novel. that had some, some size to them. And there's been some famous. Who's one that at the beginning had that though? Like, sure, like Dean Martin and all them later in life kind of got heavier. But if you look at them, because I have the Dean Martin specials, like all of them, like, and it was later in his career. But if you see him younger, he was pretty slim. But they didn't take their shirts off then, you know? They put on the suits. It's a totally different time now, you know? It's like we we now, not that I'm taking my shirt off, but style has changed. And kind of the swagger has changed. And like, even if you wear a suit now, you got to be a really fitted suit to look a certain way, to look like David Beckham. You you know, you got to put on, you got to be really slim to have that sharp look. Um, and by the way, I couldn't care less what anybody looks like. <laughs> I, I really don't care. But for myself, I finally got myself to a point where it's become a lifestyle for me again. It took me maybe four or five years to get myself back to this point where I mentally kind of like care enough to do to just eat less of the bread and lucy shut up my dog is insane (laughs) when the doorbell one second lucy stop (laughs) all right sorry about that lucy does not stop she has no button she'll do it at four o'clock in the morning what kind she'll, of dog is she? She's like a terrier mix. I have three dogs and two, and two cats. I have a terrier. I have a um, 
we actually, during COVID, we fostered a dog and he's a beagle um, German shepherd and we kept him because he's just really cute. Um, and then, um, and then we have a 17 year old dog. She's a, a, a Maltese, is that what it's called? A Maltese, I think it's called. Um, that was her dog that she, that, that she brought from Germany when she moved here. Um, so she's 17 and she is peeing on those floors, man. She cannot control it anymore. Oh, I had to get yeah. this like scent spray, you know, this like, but yeah, and then we have two cats, these sisters, and they just like hide in laundry and stuff like that. So, and, <laughs> and I got two kids. I, my, my house is just full. Well, I can relate. I don't have the kids, but uh, we have three rescue cats. Two of them are sisters. One of them we, we recently got. He's he's the only boy in the crew. His name is nice. Bean. And sometimes when I'm doing podcasts, he'll he likes to hang out with me. We're the, the only two boys, and so he he hangs out in the studio with me. And um, every once in a while, I'll be in a deep conversation with with a. New York Times bestselling writer like Ryan Holiday, <laughs> he'll just decide it's party time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And then we we have seven hens, uh, and of course they're all girls, right? So um, we got a lot of we got a lot of souls on the boat, and uh, Bean and I are the only boys. That's great. You know what? I don't know if you get this too, but like I get like I feel guilty if I'm not giving them a good life lately. You know. Like I'll walk into my living room after being in a Zoom session. I'll be like, "Man, you guys really been just sitting here for the past five hours, you know?" So I'm like, I'm 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 feeling guilty a lot of like, okay, more walks, more walks. How, how do I give these dogs, you know, a little bit of more of a fun life? Um, and uh, that's been my thing lately. It's so weird. I've just been like cuddling up with them more than I usually do. Um, and um taking them to the dog park like just trying to just to give them some fun you know and uh, i just realized that they are really just imagine just sitting there all day waiting for your your owner to like engage with you you know <laughs> but your owner has a life and kids and cars and things and stuff to deal with and it's like albums to record and <laughs> promote and <laughs> yeah it's like it's crazy but my one dog wally you know he the the the, the newest rescue he's like four and he's just got so much life to him and he wants to go forever. And whenever we'll go for a walk and I try to pull him into the house, he's like, come on longer, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I, I had, I had sprained my pinky toe in December. And so, and it's still just, you know, it takes forever to get back. And it's like, I have not been able to put like a shoe on. So I'm like that guy who walks around with socks and slippers in the mall. See, now that's a really sexy look for a crooner too. I, I I'm thinking, I, that's like the John Mayer thing. Well, actually, John Mayer has very good uh, shoe game. He has a lot of shoes. But yeah, the the wool socks with the slippers. I mean, my wife is not happy about this look. Um, yeah, you could also do wool socks with flip flops. That's a good look too. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna order the flip flops tonight. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn up my <laughs> sex life uh, to the next level. Well, and as a good Canadian, you gotta have a good collection of thick wool socks. I mean, come on. That's true. That's true. You know what? Um, it's it's cold out there right now, and um, I do not miss it. I'm just like I'm good. I'm <laughs> like here in California. I know it. I mean, it's I grew up in Montreal and I lived in Toronto for years. And oh man, so you know? You know when, oh fuck yeah! We we turn on the weather forecast at this time of year, and like, well, this seventeenth polar vortex of the season's coming through, and you're like. 
Ooh, really glad we moved to California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I miss my mother, but I don't miss the snow. But, you know, I will say that I do like snow itself. I do like enjoy the playing in the snow still as a 40 year old man, but you know, just what comes with it and all that stuff. It's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, well, and the great thing about California is we can go visit the snow and then we can get away from the snow and go back to the beach. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, we tried to get snow during Christmas holidays. We went to like Lake Arrowhead and didn't snow. We were like, they said it was going to snow and it didn't snow. We had a cottage and with my, my brother all got COVID tested and did the whole ordeal and just, you know, nothing, <laughs> no different than being in our own house. So I've turned my house into, by the way, I've turned my house, I'm a bit, I'm kind of ridiculous. I'm like a kid. I turned my house into like a very fun house for my kids. I put a, like a 10 foot, my, my house has like a vaulted ceiling, like kind of like, it's like a farmhouse, but, and I put a 10 foot net in my living room. So it's like in, it's on the wall. And I like made this like wood farmhousey like backboard. So then she would like be like cool with the look of it, you know? And like, you know, I was bored. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, my son, my 11 year old is an incredible basketball player, like insane. Like this kid has got like Kyrie Irving potential, like insane dribbles crazy. And how tall and is he? he? He's not tall. That's why I say Kyrie, you know, but he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's on the shorter side compared to his friends. And I imagine he'll be, he's my stepson. So I'm tall. I'm like six one, but he he's going to be, I think his dad, his biological dad, he's probably, I think he's like five nine. So, and, and, and his mom is about five two. So, you know, he could, he could shoot up. You never know, but I, I'm, I think he's going to be probably at about five nine, five ten. So, Hopefully he gets to six, you know, and, but he, real potential there, you know, at least to get a scholarship or, but I mean, I feel terrible for him right now, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm venturing out emotionally, but for him to not be able to play in his basketball leagues is very, that's really tough, you know, um, and to do all those things. And, you know, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to, it's hard sometimes. So I put the net in my living room and I play one-on-one -on -one basketball with him every night. You know, and I play basketball my whole life, by the way. Like I play. That's great. Tons about it. So I play them like full on, like, you know, and uh, we, we have a lot of fun doing that. And, um, and we put, you know, we put a, a trampoline in the backyard and my five-year-old, he's just, he's an interesting character. <laughs> he's got, he's got his daddy's like, you know, kind of nuttiness and, um, but he could sing. It's really, it's really cool. My, my five-year-old has a really nice singing voice. And uh, one day I will let people hear his first freestyle. And I, I couldn't believe what he freestyled on the microphone over this track I made on his first time being on the microphone. Perfect timing, perfect pitch. So, you know, there, there's a little songwriter there uh, with my five-year-old for sure. And I just checked the shortest player in the history of the NBA is Muggsy Bogues. Right. Five, and Muggsy six. was five feet three. Five three? Oh my yeah. God. That's five six. And he had a long career. He played for the Washington Bullets, the Charlotte Hornets, the Golden State Warriors, and the Toronto Raptors. That's right. That's right. Man, yeah. he was incredible. I remember Muggsy. He was five incredible. three. So are you a basketball fan, by the way? Not really. I played a little bit as a kid, but no, not really. I'm Do you a, follow I'm any sports? 
I love combat sports, so boxing and uh, mixed martial arts. Nice. That's um, dope. I trained, then, in Muay, I trained in Muay Thai. Not a boy. Now we're talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Muay Thai. I love, I love UFC, man. That thing is, it's so, it's a gladiator, man. It's like, it's, it's insane, you know? It's an acquired taste, I think, because boxing became so popular. But boxing is so boring compared to this. It's so. Well, boring. it's interesting, you know, when you get your eye gets tuned to mixed martial arts, and then you go back and watch watch boxing. It's it's painful at first because you're like, "Fuck, kick him! Yeah, Can't kick elbow him. him! Something, take him down! Yeah. He's just running away from you! Something, right?" As somebody who trains in martial arts, I love training boxing. There's something pure to me about boxing. And so I do enjoy watching it, although I do agree with you. Even as somebody who loves to watch it, it can feel boring uh, compared to MMA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Like, I, I'm that guy who, like, somebody's like, there's a fight tonight. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, I just never tune in to watch anything at the right time. Like I'm like always like <laughs> watching it the next day. Like I pretty much this kind of like constant creative kind of guy. I'm always making music. I'm kind of addicted to to my craft and stuff like that. So I try not aside from maybe like if I know that, you know, LeBron's playing Luka Doncic or something like like a fun matchup, then I'll kind of put it on my phone and watch the game live so my friends don't spoil it. But um, no, I don't know what's going on. So are on. you one of these creative types who you just sort of get lost in making music and you look at your watch and 12 hours have gone by? Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't No lunch, no dinner for sure. And for were you sure. always that way? I mean, you started early as a singer. No, I could be easily distracted before. Like somebody could come into the room with me, like before I started really kind of engineering myself and like doing it, somebody can come into the room with me while I was writing and be like, yo, you want to go play golf? I'm like basketball. I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> like in the middle of anything, I could just be distracted. But I think now, um, no, I've gotten a taste for more control over the song, playing guitars and stuff. Like I sit in it a lot longer than I did before, for sure. Now, I, I got to ask you, you have had this very interesting and eclectic career. And so uh, I've got to ask you about some of these amazing artists you've worked with. And so maybe just throw it open to you. And yeah, what, who are the artists you want to tell me about uh, that you've worked with? Oh man, there, there's so many. It's a, it's a, I've been really lucky. I mean, I don't know. Give me one. I don't know. There's this, I don't want to leave anybody out. I mean, who, I, 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 well, got... it, it, from my my understanding of your background, uh, it sounds like John Legend was an important guy for you. So maybe let's start with him. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I always wanted to work with John. I remember seeing John perform when I was like twenty one, twenty two, and and um, he had ju he had been like at that time he had been signed to Kanye at that time, and he did a show in Toronto, and a, a girl I was dating at the time she she knew the promoter and got us into this like private John Legend show and he had just released like one song at that time and I remember I was standing like literally a meter behind him like it was like one of the, a very intimate thing at this like bar and he had sang his song Cloud Nine and I was like looking at this guy and thinking to myself this guy's like Donny Hathaway to me right now like this guy's a star and 
I don't know. I, I guess like I'm a bit of like, I'm a manifester for sure. And I just kind of felt like I was going to know him. It was like this weird thing. And then when I lived in New York, I was training as a dancer in New York. That's a whole nother story. And then um, I went, I heard that he was playing. I had no money, but I heard he was playing a free show at the park and I went to see him play. And um, I like said, oh, please, please let me take a picture of you with you, you know, and I got a picture with him. And then I started, you know, my quest as a writer and all that stuff and writing for all these people. And um, when Tony Sal took me on as a client, I said to him, I, he goes, who do you want to work with? And I said, oh, I've been trying to get in with John Legend, few people. He's like, I can make John Legend happen. And, um, you know, working with uh, Manny D on my other manager and, and, uh, and um, Sean Holiday from Sony, Sony ATV, they made it happen. They, uh, and, uh, you know, got my first session and that session became the single, you know, um, called never break. So, and from there, I, I, I wasn't this kind of like, you know, googly eyed kid anymore. I was, I was a grown man and I was, I had my successes and, you know, John and I had already run into each other when rude was number one and his, and all of me was number one. We were around the same time. So we would run into each other in, in certain countries, weirdly enough, and just say, hello, I was being very polite. And I remember one time saying to him, you know, I, I'd like to write with you one day. He goes, oh, you never know. He was just being polite. And uh, and then next thing you know, we were writing. And one thing that I don't hold back in, in my sessions is my personality. You know, I don't I don't shy away. Once, once I got you in the room, you know, you're going to get a taste of who I am and stuff. I don't I don't, I don't hold back. So I've, I'm a goof. I'm, a, I'm an actual, a very I'm a very silly guy in the room. And I'm a, I'm a nudger. I nudge everybody. I, I try to inspire and drive energy into everyone. And I think John picked up on it. And, and then he invited me again and again and again. We wrote like four or five different songs. And, uh, and even recently, we wrote another awesome song together uh, with uh, Mr. Hudson and, and Greg Wells, and who we had kind of created this kind of like four-man team. And uh, yeah, and just, just, just became... I've just become another, just a writer that he calls on, you know? So, and, you know, I look, I look forward to building more with him and, and getting more time with him to, to know each other deeper. But so far it's, it's just been like great writing and I can ask for more. Like I get in, I write a great song and he puts it out. Like, I mean, I'm, I write, I write this song in my bedroom and uh, I send it to John and it becomes a hit. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That, that it, it, it's, it's, I, you know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's how it happens a lot for me. Like I sit and I write a song in my boxers uh, and I like literally, you know, then somebody puts it on the radio someday, you know? And it's like, that actually happened with mistletoe for Justin Bieber. Literally Scooter Braun calls me. He's like, hey, I've decided, Justin, I've decided, and he was what, like, Justin would have to be 17 at this point. He's going to do a Christmas album. I said, okay, cool. He's like, I, I need the single, write me the single. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Give me an hour. I don't know what to tell him at that point. And I was like, no problem. And so I literally just sat on the piano right there after he hung up and I wrote Mistletoe. And I was like, literally, then I went to Adam Messenger who, we had done all the productions together and he he's like how do you feel about it kind of being in a weird kind of reggae place and i was like right, let's go for it and um and then we played it and justin loved it 
and uh, it became the single and it was like you know it's just a weird it's it, you can't i can't explain it but if somebody says they want something to me to me as a creative writer it's it's almost as like my brain works in a way that if if you say it in the right angle to me and i see the color i know how to put those separated like like a lego you know i know how to put them all together whether i could physically perform them all or not that's different i have to maybe collaborate with people but i see it i just see it in my head you know and um and then i just start going down the road of of placing the pieces together until they become that thing you know there's this famous quote and god only knows if it's true but it's a it's a fantastic quote about the artistic process uh, apparently when asked when michelangelo was asked how he created his famous sculpture of david mm -hmm. he said well it was easy all i did was remove everything that wasn't david wow and so there's this some kind of a picture there's some kind of a there's a true north in your head that you're that you're driving towards is what i hear but how do you experience it uh, I experience it in a in a very visual way. So you see the song. I see it. Yeah, I see a movie in my head, which is why, like, you know, a lot of um, people that I've created with and stuff are like, hey, you should direct a movie, you know, because it's like, I see it like a movie director. I don't see it like a songwriter, you know, I see it visually in my head. And so, and I follow pictures. So a lot of the times... I'm seeing, oh, one second, the dog ruining my moment. <laughs> Shut up. I love you. Be quiet. Um, anyway, <laughs> Amazon, right? Um, enough yeah, they have the to come to the house 15 times a day during There's the pandemic. There's almond butter they? at the supermarket. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's me. It's my fault. I ordered it. Okay. She's doing it again. <laughs> have a nice day. All right, we're back to the live performance of my daily life. Um, so, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll like e example, even like some of the songs on my EP, like the, the second song, right? Why is it so hard to love you? When I was writing that song, I literally was picturing myself in combat. You know, like Doctor Strange when he comes out of his body, you know, and then he fights the other guy. Like I was picturing like the two souls fighting. You know, hmm. and it was like that kind of drove me to be like, why is it so hard? Like, you know, I even want to I want to shoot a video like that. I mean, I don't have Marvel money, but if I could do some sort of creative, like kind of combat artistic thing. You know, like every song has come from that visual place. Like, I, I can once in a while just not even think about it and say a bunch of words and be like, oh, that made sense. But the second that I see the picture, like, oh, I see it. I see what's going on. Like, um, I ask a lot of questions when I work, you know, and because uh, the second you could put me in that place and just show me four or five little elements about yourself, then, you know, we're rolling, you know. Now, I also have to ask you, because I'll never forget the first time she came into my consciousness. Um, uh -huh. She she completely knocked me over on every di dimension an artist can knock a person over, and that's Shakira. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very beautiful woman. 
That first video that she put out that that Insane. went, I remember with that the, with the with the the dancing and the whole thing. I was like, I I had never seen a woman move like that before. It was uh, captivating, to put it mildly. It's a hundred percent. I remember that too, and I remember thinking that this is a this is a goddess, and um, she definitely is, man. She's 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 great. When I work with her, I I go to Barcelona and I stay. We stay in a hotel, but then the studio is at her house, so. We spend all day at our house and, um, you know, sometimes days, sometimes a week, couple weeks. And um, she's very down to earth, you know, like she's very normal. Like you'll, you'll have like a plate of chicken and she'll be like, you know, take one of your chick- pieces of chicken. Like she's just like one of the, she's like one of the boys really, you know, and um, she's very cool. I describe her as like, like, like a curious cat. You know, she's very curious. She kind of wanders around the room as you're creating, looking you know, for where, what it is. And she's, she's, she's got um, a real energy and a vibe, but the second you open that vibe up with her, you cannot stop that train. So the second she's like, I see it, I like it. That's it. You know, she becomes fixated and you have a lot of fun and, and, you know, she's very free spirited because like, even I went to work with her and at that point, magic had just, my band magic had just started we had just gotten our record deal and she heard this song that we had and um was like i want it and i'll put your band on it you know and so like she put us on her album at that time and and what's that like i don't know i mean hey nasri that's amazing i want to put that on my record you know i think it was surreal for me i it's like in the moment it's this is insane. And then comes like the worry, like, is she going to keep it? Is she not going to keep it? Because if you're making an album, right, you still have to wait like six months because you're making whatever you're making. They're not putting it out six hours later. They're putting it out six months later, you know? So, you know, that at that time, it's very exciting. And then it's like six months of stress, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, what's up? You think she's going to do it? You think we should call? You think we should email them? You know? Um, and, uh, luckily she kept it. She, she doesn't, she doesn't like to overly record. That's the good thing about Shakira. She records what she needs. She knows what she wants. And then on the next album, she ended up putting me on her next album too, singing on her next album. And, you know, and, and told me that she was a fan of mine. And, and I, I said, of course, I'm a huge fan of yours and, and stuff. So, you know, to, to I placed like four or five songs with her and, you know, they're, we have been talking again recently and, you know, we're talking about hopefully getting some more time together, but, you know, with the travel, the travel bands and all that stuff, it is, it is tricky. So, cause she likes to work in the room. She likes to be a part, you know, in there and she's a real artist, you know, a real creator. She doesn't want to do it over Zoom. She no, wants you to be there in Barcelona. She with I, she'll get on Zoom to chat about what she wants, but no, nah, she, she's like a real deal. She likes to feel the energy and the bass and the subs. And that's why when she moves, it feels that way. She really likes music. You know what I'm saying? Like there's some artists, man, they don't like music. They like what the music could do for them. That seems weird to me. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm guessing there's some people who write novels who don't like to read. You know, they just like to write. It's them. interesting. I have <laughs> a handful of friends who are legendary writers and to a person, they tell me you can't be a legendary writer unless you're uh, a legendary reader. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, you know, but I'm guessing there's one or two who are like, yeah, I don't read much these days, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. I don't know how much Stephen King reads these days or <laughs> Margaret. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, I bet you Margaret Atwood still reads a lot. 
Yeah, I don't have the patience personally to read, uh, you know, and not that I, I, I can read. I just don't. I find that when I look at a book, I get nauseous. I, I'm not sure why. I like to listen. My ears are finely tuned and I I go with my ears quite a bit more than anything. I was like, I could watch a TV show and not once look at the screen. You know, like I'm watching uh. the West. I'm watching the West Wing right now. Right. And I never watched it before. And I'm loving it. I'm like, this guy's an incredible writer. I don't have to look at the screen ever. I, you know, I could just be like, you know, I, I find that my ears and my my brain can create pictures and I understand where where they are and and, and stuff like that. So I've always followed my ears. And it's um, funny, you just triggered a memory for me from so many years ago. I remember as MTV was really blowing up. And reading an interview, I th almost positive it would have been in Rolling Stone with John Mellencamp. And he was having success with videos. And so they were asking him about his videos. And he said, yeah, I'm glad people like them and what have you and so forth. But he said, to be candid, I hate music videos. He said, because music tells a story. And right, right we all see our own version of that story in our mind. And when you see a video, it wrecks your part of it. And he's like, as a, as a listener, it's almost for him, it's almost like a co-creation with the songwriter or the band, the imagery in his own head. And so he, at the time, uh, didn't, didn't like videos for that reason. Man, videos are tricky. I actually agree with that part of it because like I'm always I'm always weary to make videos uh, myself um because there it's this real truth to that. Like one thing doesn't go right it, with the videos. Even with my EP, I was like saying to my management, I was like I I don't really care what happens in the video. <laughs> I only care about where the video is. Like it has to be a vibey place, you know? It has to look like the colors of the song. And, um, you know, and that, that is like, the rest is kind of irrelevant. I just want to make sure that the mood, that the mood is right. You know, for sure. Videos are strange too, because there's a place for where a musician has no control. You know, you're in there and you don't know who these people are and they're shooting stuff and lighting stuff. And, you know, you're so used to being able to control your plugins and go back and fix them later and all that stuff. Once you put that that nice chunk of money down into everybody's hands, that's it. Whatever footage you get, you have to deal with that footage and you have to make something happen. So making music videos is kind of stressful, um, you know, for, for people like myself who at times like to be in control. And um, yeah, especially during this time with the COVID you know, you can't, nobody could go near each other. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a different experience for sure. Yeah. Now, if I was, um, you know, let's say I was a younger person and I look at you and I go, man, you know, you have had the career of careers. Mm -hmm. You've, you've written songs, you've produced music, you've worked with the, literally the biggest names of our era. And yet you've also created your own band. Now you have this new EP out. Uh, and so you've been behind the scenes in, in front of the mic, writing the music, producing the music, and you've done it on the biggest stages and with the biggest names literally in the world. And so if I'm a young aspiring musician and I want to have this, you know, you've had this interesting eclectic career, right? Sure. Um, 
What, what would you share with me about what it takes to be Nazarene? Oh, a lot of falafel. Um, I think for, for me, <laughs> I love falafel. Oh, me too. I'm a, I'm an Arab. Um, I think I think it's like the number one thing that you have to know that the way that I work personally, and I can only speak for myself, is I'm actually very flexible in that wherever the 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 the, the waves take me, I allow that to happen. I I try not to fight, you know, with the universe so much. Um, and I think when I see a lot of artists who have struggled in front of my eyes and colleagues and friends where I see they, they hit walls and not that I haven't hit walls, I have smashed into many walls, but I don't stay there for very long because I kind of keep it moving and I don't allow, you know, my losses, you know, to be my identity. Um, and I also don't allow my wins to be my identity. I, I, my identity is in my effort and I put a lot of effort in and I, and I say to myself, okay, well, if I see a vision of me being on stage and, or doing this, how do I got to get there? And okay, I need guitar lessons. Well, let's go, you know, and you just schedule and you go. And I would say like, just like for a lot of dreamers and stuff, and this is going to sound the opposite of maybe most advice you'll get is take about. 90% of that dreamy energy that you have and replace it with logical foundational things to actually accomplish a dream. So you have a dream. Great. Okay. We're driving. The dream is to drive to Vegas. Well, stop thinking about Vegas. <laughs> like, okay, Vegas is there. It's not going anywhere. You know, like you got to get to Vegas and how are you going to get there? Okay. You need a car. Oh, you need gas. You need this, you know, and like work on those things. Don't concern yourself so much with the actual stage. You know, it's like, because when you get on a stage, you don't know who half these people are and how they built it and when they got there. And like, you know, that stuff starts to happen naturally, you know, because of the success that happened of your work. So I'll say more than Nazari, ever. Can I circle back? Sure. Sorry to interrupt you. Can I circle back? You said something stunning. You said, my identity is not my failures or my successes. You said, my identity is my effort. Can yes. you say more about that? My father got, gets up every day, okay, without fail and puts in a hard day's work. He, you know, painted cars most of his life. And, you know, he whether he went and painted the car in our garage because he couldn't catch a job or he painted another garage or whatever that is, he puts in the day, you know, wins, losses, he puts in the day. And I consider myself a blue collar songwriter. I put in the day of work and whatever I need to do to get to my vision, I just do it. I don't emotionalize any of it. I, I have emotion in my life, my love for my wife and my kids and my exes and my life and all the stories that come from my life. It's not from the work. That's not how it works. And when you get better at the work itself and you, you put in that hundred percent effort, you stay on that treadmill till the, till the time says 20 minutes, not 1856. You finish that 20 minutes. You finish that guitar lesson. You finish the, the YouTube tutorial on how to teach you how to EQ your vocal. You, you do that foundational work. You'll find that you're going to just get more natural and it's much easier to just 
be an artistic and emotional person in the room, you're going to have more energy, you're going to be more experienced. And another thing is surround yourself with the exact same people who have the same mentality in the effort. If you call somebody and you say, hey, man, can you send me a track that has a disco vibe? And they go, oh, uh, what do you mean? It's like, and they get into this like, oh, uh, but it, when you call that same person, these colleagues, you'll send me a disco vibe. It's like, yo, let's go disco. Okay. Effort. You know, like Deadpool says, you know, maximum effort. And I put a lot of effort, you know. I fight the fight as a creative person. I go in and if if I have to remake something seven times, I don't complain about it. I just remake it seven times and try to, you know, understand what the artist wants, what I want, why it's not ringing to me. I just keep working at it as if I'm punching in and punching out. You know, the assembly line has to keep moving. And if you're not doing your job, you know, it, it's going to freeze. And a lot of other people are going to suffer from that. So uh, that's the best way for me to put it. You know, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. <laughs> and I'm fascinated about this mindset of yours because it appears to me as an outsider, of course, not in the industry, you live in an industry where comparison and competition is everywhere, whether it's who has the most streams or downloads or sells the most concert tickets or has the most fans on Instaflop or whatever the fuck social media stupidity is going on next. And there's this, you live in an industry that appears to have a lot of external sort of um, components to it that people seem to crave uh, as part of their identity because it drives how successful they are. But I'm yeah. not hearing that from you. Yeah, I, I chose that my identity is a songwriter. So I simply do my job as a songwriter every day. And if my songwriter leads to me singing a song, then when it's time to, you know, have a conversation about myself or my music, I, I do that. Or when it's time to... um you know, re-record a vocal for myself. I, I do that. I have, you know, I take on the job to try to understand everybody's role is insane to me. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to become, you know, a jack of all trades. You're going to master nothing, master something, and then work with other masters of, of their traits. You know, like I can't do what you could do, you know, even the way your voice sounds right now. You sound and compel, you've done this, you've practiced this. This is not something that you're guessing of how to do. You know how to keep my conversation going, how to keep me going while you're going. It's, it's an art, you know? And I have that experience in songwriting and my children rely on me to make a living in this life. Like my father did and my mother did. There's, I have the same responsibility to my kids and this is how I make my living. So. And if I turn around and say to my family, hey, I, I, we have enough money now, I'm going to change careers. I'm Then I'll go to that road when it's time to go to that road. And maybe I will become a movie director. But, you know, for now, it's like I'm loving the music. I mean, I'm 40 getting in rooms with 20-year-olds, you know, not because I have cool hair and I'm fit and I have cool t-shirts. You know, it's because I do the work, you know. Which you do, I, by the way. <laughs> I do. I know. I'm the coolest. But I'm saying, like, you just, it's about the work. I When I'm in the room with them, they feel like they're in the presence of a professional. 
you know, and they're like, wow, I'm, I'm really in the room with a professional at this and I'm going to get something that's going to help me and move my career. And I explain that to them. I don't go hanging out with them. I don't, I hang out with my own friends. And if we naturally become friends, that's great. I don't chase that. I do the work. They come to me for the work. Let's do the work. You know, some people who, when you work with them and maybe they're leaning to your age or have your experiences, it's easier to have those relationships. But I always, my first, when you first meet me, you're going to see me working. You're not going to see me maybe joking around. Sure. I like to joke around, but I'm working while I'm joking around. I'm, I'm trying to, to do whatever is best for the song. And there's another thing. It's not about you as an artist. It's not about me as an artist. It's just about the song. It doesn't matter how you feel about the song. It matters how the song sounds because that's what people are going to hear. And I try to teach that to artists a lot. I'm like, hey, you're, you're fixating on the wrong thing. How does the song sound? You know, because that's what you're selling. And artists are always like, wow, thank you for reminding me. And it's like, yeah, that we're here to make songs. You're going to get old one day and you're going to be ha happy that you made your song the best it could be. So it continues to, to create an income for you. And uh, it's the music business. I'm not some guy busking on the street, you know, like just spilling my heart out here, you know, because I just, I need to do that. I'm, I'm past that part of my life and I need to be a professional and take my experiences and, and help others the best I can. Uh, and also, in, you know, entertain the world through, through my creativity. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a Mamba mentality, you know, God rest his soul. It's, it's a bit of like a do the work, don't be lazy, you know, do the hard stuff, attack the hard stuff first, and then everything gets easy. It's so interesting because we just live in this world of, I, I, I've grown to dislike this word hack and, you know, all this, there's so much get rich, quick, fast, we want the sugar. We don't want to do the work. And I've had this very similar experience in my own career. You know, I started off very early. I started my first company at 18. And for my early life, I was the up and coming contender, right? And I was uh, young and in big positions and so forth and so on. And then I became the champion, right? And then in my case, I retired from all of that. And it's a strange thing to be, and I'm leading to a question here. It's a strange thing to be in a place in life where you're not Luke Skywalker anymore. You're Yoda. Is that sort of where you're going right now? Do you feel there's um, a lot of Yoda going on? I think I'm more in the Obi-Wan stages, you know, where it's like I'm, I'm kind of still out there fighting and defending while I am nurturing somebody else you know i think that's the best way to put it you know i'm i'm kind of like i know nobody likes those the the the, the you know the actual one numbers one two and three you know the actual um people always complain about those star wars movies but uh, you know that character of obi-wan kind of taking on the young darth vader there that that is where i'm at you know trying to get him into the light stay in the light my son Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I, there's definitely some Yodas in my life. None of them are in the music business though. I don't really look up to people in the music business as much as, you know, as I, I think some people do, like 
I kind of look at other businesses and I, I just look at people who are successful. I really, sometimes I just envy the guy who's just has a medium amount of everything, you know? And I'm like, man, you get it. Like, you know, like you don't want too much. You, you have what you need. My ambition is, it's a big, it's a big weight to carry. And it's why I've gotten in with so many artists. And I didn't even notice I got in with all those artists. I didn't even notice. Like I literally just kept working. And then all of a sudden you like look up at your resume and you're like, whoa, you know, like this is crazy, but it happened over a long time and a lot of, a lot of bad days and good days mixed together. So, but yeah, I'm definitely, I'm Obi-Waning it, man. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm in that zone right now. It's that, it's that Obi-Wan age. But uh, I think the mastery will come when I probably, I don't know. I, I think like when my solo stuff becomes really successful, you know, like where I want it to be, I'm going to lean a little more to like Samuel Jackson's character, you know, and then I'll get to Obi, that kind of thing, you know, but I'm, I'm getting there. And so, and this may sound like a silly question, but do you have big ambitions for your solo career? I do. I definitely do. You know, I'm first thing was finding my sound and um, a lot of people ask me, is magic done? I'm like, no, magic is not done. You know, we're best of friends. And when we feel like coming back, we'll come back, you know? And the reg, I particularly love the reggae vibe. Of, yeah, of yeah. You know, I needed a reggae break. Um, and a lot of people try to get me to write reggae for them. And, and I get it. And, and I, I have a knack for it. But it's not what I want to do right now. And what I created is what I want to do right now. This is where I'm at. And my second DP is almost done, you know? So I'm already, you know, on to the next one and creating it, you know, to to keep it going. And um, I'm on my own timeline. I'm an independent artist, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I could see my show in my head. So that's how I work, right? I see a picture. Once I see the picture, you know, you just can't stop it. It's It's done. I've seen the picture and I've seen how to put it together. So... Now it's just a matter of patience and time and effort and knowing that, you know, that cycle and to get to where you have to go and all those things that you have to do to get it going. It's like a roller coaster. You're like, I can see this thing where we put people on it and it spins around. And it's like, great idea, you know, and now I have to like put it together and, uh, and it's getting together slowly. And the first EP was a great first step. And it's a, you know, like we call it a, a proof of concept. You know, my buddy was calling. He's like, you, you're kind of like proved your, you proved it, you know? <laughs> now and, you're talking more of my language. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, okay, well, there's the proof, you know, people like it. It's getting a good response. And I have, you know, friends reposting it and family and colleagues and, you know, people telling me that they're, they're playing it on repeat and all that stuff. And, and that means the world to me, you know, that that's why I create it. And it just drives me more to create even better songs. And then on top of that, um, figure out how to even add more great creative people to it, to, to join Jonas and I, to make it even better, you know? And then, you know, to get to where I want to go, which is, you know, to play, play some shows and to, I have a, a the band is already in my head and how I want to do it and how I want to move. You know, I was, I was a ballroom dancer in high school. So I have a lot of kind of attachment to the the kind of Latin dancing and stuff like that. So there's certain kind of Caribbean, Latin, 
samba, salsa, all that stuff. I want to play with that. And I want to mix it together with the guitar and myself and do something that just nobody else is doing because quite frankly, they can't, um, mm. you know, and um, because there's not a lot of us kind of classic guys left. And, um, and I think like, that's, that's something that I want to, 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 to do in it and, 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 and show. And I, and I think like, I just want to be myself. I just want to do what I like. So we'll see you dancing more. Oh, you'll see me dancing. You know, I have a, a lot of, if you come to, a, if you've ever been to a, a magic show, you'll see at one point I had to, it's hard to dance to magic stuff because reggae is a different kind of dance. But I, I, I was like, guys, I need a moment to dance, you know? And so we created a thing and I started moving a little bit. But this music is groove music right now. So you're going to see me groove at the beginning. But by the time touring comes back, I'll be at my third or fourth EP. So for sure, I will be, I'll be grooving. I'm, I'm not sure about dancing. But there, there'll be a distinctive, we'll see you move in a way that's oh. distinctive. Oh, very distinctive. Yes. Yeah. You know, the other thing I got to tell you about the new EP, and this must sound like a weird compliment. Sure. But it is the, the unusual piece of music that you want to stop and listen to and just listen to, like really get into, you know, have a glass of wine, fire sure. up some Mary Jane and listen to it. Sure. That is also great. You use the word vibe multiple times. This new EP is a great background music. It's yes. a great music for setting a tone at a party. You know, we can't have a cocktail party now, but I can imagine inviting friends over for dinner and playing this music in the background because it's this very cool music. But it, I, I, I can imagine it as the background music to a party. Is, is that possible that you could create one piece of music that on one hand people dig into it deeply, but on the other hand is appropriate in the background? Is that insane? Yeah, I mean, that was a part of it. When I kept on asking Jonas when we were making the EP, like, what are you doing while you guys are listening to Sade or listening to these artists? He said, we're just having wine. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's so interesting for someone like myself because I don't drink alcohol. I have like crazy acid reflux. I can't drink alcohol. So, you know, when I listen to, you know, that kind of music, I'm usually like going for a walk or we all experience it differently. And I was asking a lot of people and a lot of people drink wine and put on music, you know, and, and stuff and, you know, have some appetizers. So that became a part of it for me. It was intentional to make sure that it could be in the background, but it could also be something that you could turn up and enjoy. And that was the balance of the mix, you know, not making anything too punchy and uh, not having any moment become too big or too small, just stayed in a medium groove the whole time. And um, uh, I'm glad that it, that it, you know, it came together that way. You know what I mean? Um, because that was, that was the goal. It, it was, it was intentionally made to Jonas's, you know, kind of, he played a, a big part in, in monitoring that, that energy, you know, and kind of helped me get there. Well, you, you, you nailed it because it's exactly what it is because I found myself wanting to listen to the lyrics and listening to the music in a detail-oriented way. And then at other moments, 
my mind would drift and I would have a conversation with my wife or, or whatever. And, and the music would fade into the background. And then I'd sort of rediscover it was there. I'd go, Oh shit. Yeah, that's all, you know? And so it's the kind of music you, that you can sort of zone in and out of, and it works either way. And, and, and that's unusual because as you know, better than I, there are people who make music that is purpose built to be pleasant music in the background, but not really meant to be listened to. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think, it, it all it is all about purpose. I mean, you just said it, and I, I really appreciate you guys listening to the songs. I mean, it honestly means the world to me. And 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 the thing is, when you go to make music, you have to make music with a sense of purpose. You have to say, "Why am I doing this?" Because what you're adding to that matters. When you add to an idea, it does matter. Um, so if I'm in the studio, i.e., with with an artist or myself. And, and I'm like, what do I want out of this song? What do I want people to get into? Do I want people to fight for their relationships? Do I want, and what I wanted and what I do want for my stuff is for it to play for a long time in your life. I wanted to create something that wasn't expendable. You know, you can't, maybe, maybe it could go on somebody's desert island list. You know, like that, that, that was my thought. Like, how do I create something that somebody would take to the island with them and put it on because they like it from start to finish. Yeah. And um I'm I'm kind of glad that we got there. And and it is it's it's really it is tough to make at times because you know there's this kind of uh, ambitious energy that runs through me. And but that's what collaboration is for. That's why Jonas was put in my life to to restrain that energy and to show me you know how to get there and and I was I was all ears because he had so much conviction and he was like, well, no, it's just perfect. The way you wrote it was just perfect. Let's just leave it and just add this one little element and then mix it like this. And, uh, that was it just kind of came together and, and, and in that way. And so, but it, it was, what's interesting to me is that I, I got a DM the other day from a fan and, and she's like, I'm so high right now listening to your EP and it sounds even different, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, that was a funny DM to get. I was like, she's so high and she's hearing the EP differently. She goes, all of a sudden the lyrics just feel differently, different to me. And um, I wrote these lyrics organically and honestly, this is my life. I mean, I, I asked my wife for permission to be like, hey, are you cool with this? You know, and she's like, yeah, it's beautiful. You should put it out, you know, and, um, you know, exposing that our 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 love life is not perfect, essentially along with the kind of, you know, the, the fact that I am attracted to her and the attraction mixed in with the, the struggle I think a lot of us have with communication and with um, expectations and all that stuff and, and um, just kind of struggling to love somebody, but then kind of figuring out after writing this whole thing that we have to spend time alone and in our own home at times and love ourselves and there's, you know, a lot of healing that happened from this EP. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, Nazare, I could clearly talk to you for uh, 24 hours straight, probably. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I love it, man. Anytime. But I do want to be respectful of your time. And uh, so is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we, uh, before we wrap? Um, you know, I just encourage, um, you know, everybody to, you know, to follow me uh, and to hear the music. So then at least you know what's going on. I don't do like, I'm not like really obnoxious online. Like I just kind of post the music and post like what's coming up. 
and sometimes my dogs. So I, I feel like I'm pretty tasteful. So, you know, just, just, just follow. So, you know, what's going on, there's going to be some really great stuff coming up. So that, that's the only thing I encourage. Cause I, I was slow to, to, to social media for sure. And I was not having it. I was like, this is stupid. It's poison, <laughs> but unfortunately it's the way we communicate now. So, um, you know, you know, just join in on, on a bit of the fun and, you know, and just see what's going on. So you could hear the music, uh, sooner than later. And we'll put uh, links to all of your social and all that in the show notes so that it's, it's easy for people. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, you know, just hit me up. I, I do like to chat and, and, um, I try to answer everybody and, and, uh, and stuff like that. And please and just enjoy the music and spread it around. I, I am an independent artist, even though I've been to a major, I, I've had a number one song and all that stuff and experience that I'm an independent artist. So, you know, uh, word of mouth is, is what I need. I need, I need help to, to promote my music. Um, and, um, I needed to, to grow organically and, and I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with me. I, I feel really honored to be on your show. And and uh, hopefully I get some more listeners. I'd be stunned if you don't. Thank you for making this incredible new record and for so many years of, uh, of, of incredible music. And I really deeply appreciate you spending this time with me, Nazari. And, and you're welcome back anytime. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, there he is, Nazari. Wasn't that great? I sure hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And if you did, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast and you'll get our next episode. And if you did love this episode, why not share it with one of your closest uh, 200 friends right now? Also, don't forget, Nasri's new EP is out and ready for you to download. It's called Here For You. Check it out wherever you get legendary music. Now, America is getting busy, and to succeed in the new reality, we all need every advantage we can get. And that's why you need a legendary foundation for your business, and that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in, the world's number one cloud business system that includes everything from finance, HR, inventory, multi-channel, uh, e-commerce, and much more. NetSuite allows you to manage your business down to the penny with precision. So whether you're doing a million dollars, hundreds of million dollars or more, NetSuite is what you need to get the visibility and control over your business to succeed. Check out netsuite.com slash different today for your free product tour. That's netsuite.com slash different. And today, more than ever, companies are turning to digital transformation to lead their companies forward. And that's where my friends at Splunk come in. They are the category queens and kings of data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every action. Check out splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E, and learn how to turn data into doing. That's splunk.com slash D to E. And my friends at Autranet, have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Remember, your website is almost always the first thing that people experience when they're interested in your company, and you want that to be a legendary experience. So check out my friends at atre.net. That's Autranet. And my friends at Crash.co are going to help you crash your career by creating custom video pitches for the companies that you love so that you get noticed and get hired. Check out crash.co today. And my friends at bottleneck.online will help scale you. They are the leaders in distant assistance. So if you need an assistant who's legendary, who is nowhere near you and will never get near you, <laughs> go to bottleneck.online today. All right. We would like to thank, of course, the legendary Nasri. 
Thank you so much. That was an awesome conversation. Uh, you know, I know I say this pretty regularly, but um, I just feel so privileged that I get to uh, meet so many incredible people, have these conversations, and most importantly, share them with you. Thanks again, Nasri, And thank you to Juliet Cost and Jan Appel, who helped make this episode happen. Thank you, ladies. My friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And if you're looking to uh, make a contribution to a nonprofit that makes a giant difference, visit OneLifeFullyLive.org today. All right, I need to remind you that today's podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed, and objects and mirrors are uh, clearly objects and mirrors. We must warn you that this oddcast does get created in a studio that uh, cre- that. <laughs> It does get created in a studio that does does contain nuts. It goes better with libations. Please don't forget to tip your wait staff. We are produced and edited by living podcast legend Jason DeFilippo. He is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And our friends at Podcast Magazine have a new profile on Jason coming out right now. So check out Podcast Magazine and go beyond the microphone. Technical awesomeness and lockhead.com and... Uh, help with our new uh, ad campaign. More on that coming soon uh, by Jamie J and Sarah Knox. Show notes by GM Simon. Don't forget to listen to Nasri Music. Take two podcasts and email us in the morning. If you if you must email us, blackhole at lockhead.com. Thank you to all of our healthcare heroes, our frontline heroes. Thank you so much to our active military and veterans and our military families. Don't forget that Muhammad Ali was right. The left lane is the passing lane, and don't pour hot coffee on your crotch. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. Love you, Mom and Dad, and hey, Colin. This oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Carson Sweet, CEO of Cloud Passage. Sorry, Carsey. We just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. Uh, please stay safe, stay legendary, and of course, till we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>